Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Data with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again and we have another huge show in store for you as we break down everything that happened in the world of WWE across SmackDown and Raw, plus a little bit of a WrestleMania launch party to discuss as we sit less than three weeks away from Clash at the Castle, a huge premium live event, I almost called it a pay-per-view, in the United Kingdom. Very excited for that, but the Silver King is here with vintage Chris Vanini, and as I said, we are going to talk about everything that happened in WWE this week as the Triple H, what used to be called a reign of terror, now Triple H's reign of, I don't know, awesomeness, uh, continues on the creative end for WWE at this moment. But we do have plenty of show to get to. You know the deal. I would be remiss if off the top, I did not remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast So please, stop wasting my time. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating for this show on Apple. Also leave a written review. Let everyone know how much you love getting over, why you listen, and why you subscribe. I say stop wasting my time, but you guys have actually done a fantastic job with five-star reviews over the last couple of weeks. I think I've read like, I don't know, five or six of them already on the show. New ones coming in. I appreciate it. And we have two new five-star reviews. Let's start with one from Ireland, all about the five Bazman 1989. Love this podcast. Been listening since BC and the Silver King days. I don't watch as much wrestling as I used to, but the Silver King and Vintage Chris's great recaps and analysis keep me up to date. Quick question. Do you think they go all out at Clash of the Castle? and do something big like bring back Bray Wyatt or someone else. Keep up the good work. Hey, we got a five-star review and a question at the same time, Chris. I think it's fair to answer the damn question. I do think that big stuff is going to happen at Clash of the Castle. Will that include Bray Wyatt? I think it's a solid chance. Chris, the impetus for this, the reason why it might potentially happen is, do you remember how Roman Reigns began this championship reign of his? He beat the Fiend Bray Wyatt. He beat the Fiend Bray Wyatt, and he did so rather expeditiously. Um, he did. And he, and he started, of course, with that attack post-match to beat the shit out of him, and then they had the match, and he won the title. So if the, you are going to bring the Fiend back, and Roman Reigns potentially needs challengers during this long stretch of time between now and the Royal Rumble in January, really not the worst idea to bring back a major star at a major show across the pond. Do I think it will happen, though? Bray Wyatt, no. I do think it's possible we get some other big developments at that show. It, I think it depends if you think uh, Drew McIntyre is winning the title, uh, which, spoiler alert, I do and have said for a while. And I think if you do, you don't want the return of Bray Wyatt to overshadow that in any way. So I'm going to say no. All right. But I do think he comes back at some point. We'll talk about wrestling in a moment. Still have another five-star review. Plenty of other stuff to kick off the show. But you did ask a question in the five-star review, and we're going to answer it if you do that. Another one from GM Jr. Fresh, unbiased podcast, high quality. I can't read the rest of your uh, headline. I'm sorry, but thank you for that headline. Listening and coming across getting over has been great. As a WWE fan, it's great to listen to someone that's unbiased 
passionate and detail oriented like Adam. I'll say and Chris, even though he didn't mention you. Highly recommended to listen to this show. Thank you for all the hard work. Thank you for all the hard listening. No, the, hopefully it's easy listening here at the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I also wanted to thank all of you for your financial contributions that you sent into the show last week. I did leave it open longer than I initially planned. We came pretty damn close to our goal that I had in my head. And at this point, we're now going to close the financial contribution. So if you already did, thank you so much. And if you haven't yet or you didn't, not a big deal. But please, you know, don't send anything further in at this point. I am in the process of looking at a specific device that's going to make our recording higher quality, more seamless, a tactile soundboard so that I can hit those drops, you know, without having to go through my current process, which is pretty much convoluted. If I do say so myself, I just need to make sure that whatever I purchase, the way that Chris and I record still works. And it still comes in clear because there's a lot of podcasts that record via Skype or Google Meet or this or that, and they just don't sound good. What we're doing right now works. And I want to make sure any changes we make to the podcast are for the positive, make the sound more crisp and more clear. So once again, Thank you to everyone who made contributions to the show. And I do want to quickly read off some names. Don't worry, anyone, I'm not using your last names, but I do want to thank these people for contributing. Adam K, Adam M, Joshua S, Omar G, Jet L, Robert R, Giancarlo G, Tony D, not Tony D'Angelo, but Tony D. Not pretty close. (laughs) Billy H, Michael R, Michael C, Jordan S, Stephen D, Phil R, Daniel G, Zachary S, Luke M, Dave S, Wes M, Alex B, Kalila G, Jason M, Matthew S, Eric M, Brian E, Tim L, Joshua S, Justin M, Dan B, Brett M, Jesse P, and two big thank yous to Alan W and Asif D. I hope I said your name right. Thank you guys so much, all of you, guys and girls, for supporting the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. With that, allow me to finally bring in vintage Chris Vanini to the show. Chris, we are just a couple weeks away from Clash at the Castle. And on on top of that, we are getting, at least as far as I'm concerned, some of the best WWE television that we have had in years. I am as optimistic about the creative product for WWE as I have been in an extremely long time. And normally when I say that, I'm not necessarily forcing it, but I'm trying to overcome a lot of people who feel otherwise. But man, the support for WWE right now, the creative direction, the way these shows are kind of progressing, the way storylines are going, it feels almost unanimous. It feels like everyone is kind of buying into what Triple H is doing right now. Watching it on TV, yes. I will get into it, but it was once again, uh, not a great crowd for Raw on Monday night. And I think that's, I think that's in partly due to the changes that are going on. Um, I enjoyed Raw. I thought it was maybe a step down from the previous couple weeks, but that's to be expected. It's not going to be, you know, hitting it out of the park every single week. Still, obviously, generally very optimistic about where things are going. And um, onward we go. You know, it's it's a, it's a new era and we're, we're kind of almost a month into it now. And it'll, it'll probably be a few months where we fully can kind of evaluate everything. But so far, so good. It's a little strange that Raw has been in major cities over the last three weeks and the crowds have not been as good as smaller crowds or or at least crowds at smaller venues or in smaller towns and cities for SmackDown events. It's been extremely Mm -hmm. odd. I will say Washington, D.C., though, on Monday night, it started hot. They got exhausted. They were tired 
by the end of that show. And, and from 10 p.m. onward, yes, I agree, the crowd was not good. But the first two hours of the show, I didn't have much of a problem with it. The show opened with Judgment Day, we'll get to it later, which hasn't really drawn reactions and they got booed out of the building. They they got real heat. So it started hot. I don't think it was the entire show that DC was was struggling from a crowd standpoint. No, that's fair. I, I think we'll, and we'll, we'll get into the matches, but some of the matches, again, uh, the style of matches, the length, it's still kind of taking time. I think it is to kind of adjust to, to what that is. I think that's definitely fair. Now, we are going to get into the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Plenty to talk about. We're going to cover every single aspect of creative, what we saw on screen from WWE this week. There were two topics I wanted to quickly go over before we get into it. Let's start with Raw, just since you mentioned it. I noticed a number of new elements from the TV production standpoint, Monday Night on Raw. There was an updated extended intro with new wrestlers featured, and the video production team, I always appreciate this. Apparently, I don't even know what the theme song is for WWE right now for, for Raw. I'm sorry, specifically. But it has the word Edge in it. And when they say Edge, the production team hit the post with like a video of Edge. And, I, and that popped me. I always thought that was pretty cool. There was a ton of pyro to kick off Raw, which is rarely done in WWE these days. They are not heavy on show opening pyro but it got you excited. You had the intro, you had the pyro, you're like, this is the Raw I remember, right? Still not some of those great theme songs from the 90s and 2000s, but nevertheless, the intro of the show got you amped up for it. Uh, When they showed a video package right off the top during the initial entrance, they did it picture in picture so you could still watch the entrance. They didn't cut away, show a two-minute video package, and you're like rolling your eyes oh, we just started the show and there's already a video package. You still got to see Judgment Day do their full entrance, get into the ring, look cool, the whole deal. And lastly, there were two different moments during the show where they did cut to black commercial breaks, both of which worked because they were totally sudden, unexpected, and they left you with a cliffhanger. You're like, oh my God, they just went to commercial. I wonder what's going to happen when they come back. That Mm -hmm. is the way you keep people on your screen. You can't overuse it. You can't do it every single episode, but the two times they did it Monday night worked for me. Yes, we'll get into those specifics, but those are some more little things. And look, when people talk about what they like most about the Triple H era, I know a lot of people talk about the wrestling, but to me, it's those things you just said. It's the production. It's the stuff going around outside the ring that to me is actually getting me more interested in Raw meaning I can't look away, I can't look down at my computer when yes. something's going on backstage because I might miss something. So that is the part of the Triple H era that I am enjoying the most, um, you know, that that's not in the ring. Absolutely. So I just wanted to mention that about Raw off the top. The second thing, WrestleMania 39 tickets in Los Angeles, SoFi Stadium, they went on sale over the weekend. And WWE actually did a launch party for it in LA that they ended up live streaming. Now, I had no plans to watch this because why would I watch a launch party for number one, an event I'm not going to, I'm not going to fly out to LA for WrestleMania, but also it's a launch party and it's, what is it, August, right? Like WrestleMania is in April. So why would I watch it? Except I was home, I was inebriated and I had nothing else to do. So I decided to watch it. Uh, It also just popped up on my my feed. So I was like, yeah, you know, I'll check it out. To my utter shock, Chris, it was nearly two hours long. I thought this was going to be like, 30 minutes, one match, we get out of there, there's a lot of celebrities and we're good. But there were three matches, including Theory versus Ricochet, which was super entertaining. A ton of celebrities, sure. There was an in-ring segment. My highlight of this entire thing, I tweeted it, hopefully you guys saw it. Becky Lynch 
was seawalking with Snoop Dogg. And Bianca Belair did it too. But Bianca Belair has rhythm, let's just say. Becky Lynch <laughs> doesn't. And it was freaking hysterical. The fact that she even did it was hysterical. But if you told me, like, before that party began, hey, you should watch this thing. Becky Lynch is going to seawalk. I would have been like, I will be there. As a kid from the 90s, I will be there to watch Becky Lynch do that. I thought it was hysterical. Unfortunately, the stream kind of sucked, which makes me think it was a last-minute decision to air it live, to actually stream it. There were a ton of audio issues. If it was higher quality, it would have hit even better. But the really astounding thing coming out of this, Chris, WrestleMania 39 ticket sales are insane. They sold 48,000 seats for night one and 49,000 seats for night two at launch. And relatively few of them are actually on the secondary market. I think it's like 3,500 for each show, which is insanely low. So if you are out there and you want to go to WrestleMania 39, when they release these pockets of new seats and these packages that they're going to do, just buy them because both of these shows are going to sell out completely. And this is going to be the most rest, most attended WrestleMania of all time. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. Uh, that's I think they said like a 40% jump over WrestleMania 38. And at least based on past WrestleManias, it's not like every seat is available. You know, that they, they at least in the past, they've done them in chunks. I bought mine for WrestleMania 38 out of the first chunk. I bought them on SeatGeek from somebody else, uh, a secondary seller. Ended up getting them for a pretty good price at that point compared to if I had waited for longer. So um, based on the two WrestleManias I've gone to, my recommendation is always buy as quickly as you can, especially now when you see those numbers for for WrestleMania 39, WrestleMania Hollywood. And yeah, it's... um. They're hyping it up as maybe one of the biggest WrestleManias ever. And, you know, we've talked a million times about whether or not that'll include The Rock. But clearly, uh, WWE has put a lot into this and they, they're ecstatic about those ticket sales. And I really do wonder if The Rock rumors, like, I don't think those are fueling this. I think that's all online. I think that's IWC, you know, people in this zone, all oh, The Rock, Roman Reigns, it makes sense for them to do that match. They haven't promoted that on TV or really given many indications no. of it. There have been a couple sly mentions in media from Paul Heyman here or there. The Rock's been asked about it. He was he's like, yeah, I'd love to fight him at some point one time before my in my career. But there's no matches announced. There's no appearances announced. We don't know The Rock or Austin or John Cena or Roman Reigns even are going to be there. Yet they've sold 48 and 49,000 tickets respective nights. It is astounding to me. It really is. Maybe it's because it did get delayed and people were amped up about it. And the stadium's gorgeous and people want to be there in that stadium for this event. WrestleMania Hollywood, we've seen how that's gone in the past. It's always very exciting. WWE does a great job with a presentation, you know, of it and, and promoting it. So maybe they just absolutely murdered it. But man, a two-night WrestleMania now makes more sense than ever if you're selling out two nights of SoFi Stadium. Really yes. good for WWE and really good for the fans because if they are going to have two Fully sold out nights at SoFi Stadium and Triple H has the book. I mean, I don't know what more you could want from like a pitch perfect scenario to have a great WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean, they've done two nights three times now, twice with fans, mm -hmm. once with a full stadium. And like, I, you know, I was there. It was a hit. It was a heck of a time both nights. They, they've they've figured out the two night formula. They're never going back. You know, they're, they're making a heck of a lot more money now doing it this way and they've done a good job with them. I think we've really enjoyed both nights of WrestleMania. They've paced it well. So I, I think 
everyone has figured out WrestleMania. It's always been a destination event. WWE has done a great job of making it an even bigger destination event. And I'm sure the rave reviews after this year uh, helped it as well. I also think that a lot of our criticisms for this past year's WrestleMania, the short cards, not a lot of match time in certain spots, the Intercontinental title, United States Championship not being on the line, certain wrestlers not being on the show. All that stuff is going to get rectified. I'm not saying that yes. the cards are yep. going to be perfect. It's going to be booked perfectly. Creative is going to be perfect. You can't predict that. I don't know. But I do think a lot of those issues will be rectified. I agree. All right, Chris. Well, that was our little uh, intro to the show today. A little bit longer than usual. We have plenty to talk about. In fact, we have everything left to talk about. And we're going to get it started by sliding into the main event. And our single main event topic today is that Roman Reigns is once again absent, yet the main event storyline centering around Drew McIntyre nevertheless continued. So we'll start with SmackDown. Karrion Cross was in a smoky room cutting a promo. He said he took advantage of an opportunity that presented itself as Reigns and Drew McIntyre are the chosen ones, while they, referring to himself and Scarlett, were thrown aside talking about their releases is really what he was saying. Then he said they would show the bloodline a new timeline. I thought a couple of really strong lines there. Uh, it was then revealed that he was actually around the corner from McIntyre stalking him as he was ready to make his way to the ring. So McIntyre hit the ring to address Cross, presumably not knowing what Cross just said, I have to assume, because there was no TV. He didn't have headphones on. Drew understood the motivation for the attack, but said Cross attacked the wrong guy and would pay for it at the right time. McIntyre called out Reigns for not being at SmackDown again, and then Cross's music hit. He didn't come out. Instead, it was Scarlett who strutted all the way to the ring in black leather. That distraction and who wouldn't be distracted allowed the Usos to attack McIntyre from behind and hit the 1D as Scarlett watched. And they actually talked trash to each other, the Usos and Scarlett. All of this worked, Chris, between the attack last week and the promo from Friday. Cross probably got off to like Two of his five best segments ever in WWE, I'm saying NXT main <laughs> roster, those were two of his five best ever. The storyline of them being tossed aside so WWE could focus on a smaller group of people, guess what? That's reality. They, mm-hmm. they had chosen superstars. He wasn't one of them. They tossed them aside. Reality always helps storylines hit better. And we got another dose of reality when it came to Drew McIntyre and someone else on Raw that we'll talk about later. I did note that McIntyre made his entrance Without the sword. No Claymore, mm-hmm. no Angela. Unfortunately, he was still wearing full gear. Just let the guy wear those black jeans and the black tank top and look like a badass dude. Why is he wearing full gear if he's not out there to wrestle? That's always weird. Reign's absence obviously sucks. We've been talking about that for months. But it's nice that they're actually addressing it in kayfabe. The only thing I'll say is, if there's not a title change, and we don't know that there will be, we can't guarantee it, They keep blatantly pointing out this huge negative that Roman Reigns, the undisputed champion, isn't around, not just on Raw, but on SmackDown as well. Yeah, and and this is, you know, it's similar to, you know, remember John Cena, The Rock back in the day. The Rock and John Cena would say The Rock was going to come via satellite and, and The Rock was never there and yada, yada, yada. But The Rock wasn't the champion you know, going into that first match. Mm -hmm. It was not like the show got derailed because The Rock wasn't there. This is the champion's not here. You're right. This It is pointing out a problem that he's not here. And another person who did this was Seth Rollins going in his match with Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania at 35 
when he when when he would say Brock's you know not showing up all the time. I'm going to be the champion. I'm going to be a fighting champion. I'm going to bring it back, bring the belt back to you, the fans, and people like that. People generally like that. But yeah, you got. I think you got to change the title if you keep pointing it out. So we'll see if they do that. Love this segment. Love the line um, that Cross used when he said. Uh, uh, cast aside or kicked out of paradise mm-hmm. use that word which is a good a good word to use it and also when Scarlet came out and did her whole thing black and white camera again and it stayed that way until the second the Usos hit McIntyre from behind and then it went to color I love that touch I really like this black and white stuff that they're working with here um, just big fan of the visuals and everything it's doing it's it's going to take some time for the fans to get it adjusted to Karrion Cross to understand that he's a real threat, you know. But you got to build that up. But I really, really like what they've done here through two weeks with him. Is that like a Dante's Inferno, like Paradise Lost type of reference? Is that what that was? Could be. Yeah, I, I didn't that's kind of the way I took it. Like, and I don't know. It just his promo worked, and you could tell it was mm-hmm. natural, and he meant it, and it was reality. But yes, that that factor with Reigns and McIntyre, McIntyre continuously calling him out. And if he retains, it's like, well, okay, now he's not on the show and he's still not going to be on the show. So that is something that we need to keep in our heads and think about as we move through the next three weeks and eventually make our picks and predictions for Clash at the Castle. So there was more from SmackDown. Uh, Sami Zayn went to the Bloodline dressing room. He admitted that the Uso was right last week. He doesn't carry his own weight. All of a sudden, though, McIntyre attacked all of them, uh, primarily the Usos. Sami ran away rather than help. McIntyre promised to beat their asses every single week that they get involved in his business. The Usos screamed at Sammy later for ditching them. He said he left to get help. The Usos then stormed to the ring and they demanded McIntyre find a tag team partner. So we had the Usos against McIntyre and a mystery partner. Right after the promo, McIntyre came down. He just stormed down to the ring. The bell rang. He had no one in his corner. He just started fighting. After a few minutes, Madcap Moss ran down. Sammy distracted, allowing the Usos to hit a super kick and an Uso splash for a false finish. Moss took Jay down outside, giving McIntyre the opening to the Glasgow kiss and Claymore to Jimmy for the win. Jay tried to attack after the bell. McIntyre caught him with a future shock DDT, and then he was ready to hit another Claymore on Jay when Sammy pushed Jay out of the way and ate the Claymore for him to end the segment. So Moss making the return to a pretty huge reaction alongside McIntyre, that made it clear that all those concerns people had about him not being on TV the last couple of weeks and maybe Triple H doesn't like him, clearly not true. Putting him next to McIntyre and having them beat the Usos shows that they think Moss is a valuable part of the roster. Obviously, they need to change the name, but clearly he's still valued at least, and that's good to see. Sammy taking the Claymore, that continued the storyline in a really sensible way because he's now proving Mm -hmm. his loyalty to the bloodline physically. Plus, McIntyre stood tall at the end as he should. The Sammy stuff, it's been really intriguing. But obviously for McIntyre, this was like an in-between type of week on SmackDown. The point being, though, every storyline progressed and we got even further progression of the McIntyre storyline on on Raw that we'll talk about in a little bit. But in terms of what we got SmackDown, without Reigns there, they really gave us like almost as much as they possibly could. Yes, and they, and we'll get to it on Raw too, but they are very much starting to build the TV product around Drew McIntyre, which is what they should be doing, which is what they should be doing and potentially makes you believe that a title change could be coming. Um, I like the Sammy stuff. You know, it it was great. Him pushing him out and taking the Claymore. Love that moment. Everything was great. The match was good. Madcap got a good pop and everything. But I feel like we just kind of brushed past the fact that the tag team champions just lost. (laughs) 
to Drew McIntyre and Madcap Moss. I know. The, 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 the Usos, who have the longest title reign, one of the longest title reigns, who just beat the Street Profits, uh, and they just lost. I, I thought for sure when Madcap Moss came running out, it was going to be, oh, okay, Madcap's going to take the pin. That's how they'll get out of this. Would have made sense, yes. Yeah, and, and they didn't. And part of me is like, oh, that's interesting that it subverted my expectations. But it's also part of me is like, Ah, the Usos taking the loss. I don't know how to how to feel about that. They've they've had this long reign, but it hasn't been a particularly memorable reign. They're still largely defined by being Roman Reigns' lackeys. And yeah, I mean, should Drew and Madcap get a tag team title shot next? I mean, I think they should. And who who else is going to step up to the Usos right now? Who who else has any sort of claim? So it it wasn't really addressed on Raw either. So I. I don't know. I guess we'll see. It was that was one of three matches this week where I thought the result should have gone the other way based on the participants in the match. So a tag team match where one person gets pinned or submitted while there's someone else who would have been better fit to do it. Right. And you look at like the way that WWE booked Alpha Academy for a long time. Um, They had Gable take every fall. Otis stay Mm -hmm. strong. Well, they did that for a reason because Otis is a bigger, stronger, uh, more intimidating tougher to beat guy, right? So when you have a tag team with a weak link, it makes sense for that weak link to be the one to take the fall, especially in a situation where the finish doesn't really matter. It didn't matter necessarily if McIntyre beat them because if the Usos beat Moss, McIntyre still could have got the Claymore at the end of Sammy and done the same thing. So again, that's one of three situations this week, and I'm glad you pointed it out, where it's just like, not the end of the world, and champions can lose. I mean, the Usos lost to the Street Profits. They came back and beat them, obviously. I believe they've lost other situations where it's been two main eventers that have gone up against them mm-hmm. and and they've gone ahead and lost that match and never defended the titles against them afterward. But at least back in the Attitude Era, back in the 2000s, early 2000s, when that did happen, when a tag team would lose to two single stars who got thrown together for a rivalry reason, they ended up getting a title match. And usually the tag team champions would beat the weak link on the other team. And that was the story. It was a two week story. The baby face that they wanted to push got a big win. And then the the tag team heel tag team retained their titles. So I would have loved to have seen this coming week on SmackDown, the Usos against Drew McIntyre and Matt Cat Moss for the titles with the Usos beating Moss. They get the win back. That storyline's over. It's another Drew McIntyre versus Bloodline match. That's not announced. It's not going to happen. But you are right. That is really what should transpire next. And it's something you could have announced on Raw, you know, if it was in the plans. I know I, if I remember correctly, I think Drew like said some stuff into the camera on Raw about the Usos, which we'll get into. Yeah. But as far as I know, there's nothing about it. He could have said, I beat you. I want those titles. I don't I yeah. don't just want the yeah. undisputed, you know, WWE Universal Championship. I want the undisputed tag team titles, too. Like he could have yeah. gone on that type of rant and he just didn't, which is OK, because what we got on Raw was awesome. We're going to talk about that right now. But it is a hole. You're right. It's a plot hole that kind of would have been nice to have gotten filled. So speaking of Raw, McIntyre made an unannounced appearance. They did promote it on the show, but not really beforehand. Again, he came out without the sword. He basically said he's there because Reigns can't be bothered to show up on one show, let alone both shows. And when he's champion, he will be on Raw, SmackDown, all the live events, because it's what the fans and the titles deserve. He addressed the weekend reports that he has a sore back. Reports, by the way, were that WWE kept him from wrestling at live events over the weekend because he has a sore back. He said that's true because he's been carrying the company. Then he rattled off all the potential opponents that he could face as undisputed WWE Universal Champion. 
He didn't mention Kevin Owens, who of course interrupted the promo. KO clowned him for putting on a tough guy voice, sometimes wearing a kilt and carrying a sword. Thank you. KO said, he's as real as it gets, but people have forgotten because he's been having fun the last few years. He put over his match with Sami Zayn at Battleground in the exact same venue in DC, saying he misses the old KO and he's bringing back the prize fighter, which is exactly what we thought we saw last week with that attack. He said he hasn't won a title in five years and then shot to my heart. He quoted Owen Hart, enough is enough and it's time for a change. Obviously, his favorite wrestler who he named his son after and why he's called Kevin Owens. It's for Owen Hart. Owens said every champion is a target and he is coming for the undisputed title. McIntyre said KO distorted his history because he's worked his ass off to make WWE call him back after he was released. Drew put over all the people he's beaten and all the adversity he's overcome, saying, I don't care if you're a prize fighter, a sports entertainer, or a superstar. We're wrestlers in a wrestling ring. Let's just frickin' wrestle. And I said it okay. Drew said it a lot better. I know exactly who the hell I am. Someone recently called me the chosen one. I was a chosen one 15 years ago. Then I got fired. Then I had to work my ass off, earn my way back to this company. And they called WWE. They called me. And I've worked my ass off every day since. I'm a two-time champion. I'll be Brock Lesnar, Goldberg, Radion, everyone that stood in my path. Don't you dare look me in the eye and pull that BS again. And I think it's time for Owens and McIntyre to stop talking. I don't care if you're a prize fighter, a sports entertainer, a superstar. We're wrestlers in a wrestling ring. Let's just freaking wrestle. Okay, I want to run through a fucking wall right now, Chris. <laughs> I know. Holy shit. That is one of the best promos of Drew McIntyre's entire career. The best, I think, two-man promo with Owens and McIntyre back and forth this year. Owens had one of the best promos of the year. McIntyre individually had one of the best promos of the year. Owens was on fire. McIntyre held his own. There's no comparing with KO on the mic, like as great as Drew was. I kind of wished Owens denied the match, saying it's not for a prize. Why should we fight? Because Mm -hmm. giving away McIntyre, Owens on Raw out of nowhere, it was kind of unnecessary. But between the Owen Hart quote, the reality of what Owens said about the last few years, calling back to the Sami Zayn match, Drew getting hyped up and saying a variation of Russell three times in a single sentence. We wouldn't hear that three times in a week, let alone a month in WWE. Chris, this was a banger. If, if a promo can be a banger, a promo segment, this was a banger. It was fantastic. Top tier stuff right here. Here's the thing. It didn't even feel like a promo. It just felt like two guys talking and getting amped up like that's the, and, and I mean that in the best possible compliment you can make because that's what a promo is like it, I, I do not think all of those specific lines from Drew were scripted for him. No. I think he said he was he was going to no. get into it and he was going to say it in the way that made him the way he was feeling it when he was out there. And that's exactly like that type of promo from Drew. We've never quite gotten something like that before. That is an example of just how talented this guy is, how much they trust him to put in the proper context and take advantage of everything that is out there. And both these guys just absolutely nailed this. And I just, I keep coming away thinking that just felt like two guys getting into it. Like it didn't feel like I'm here cutting a promo. Oh, don't you, I'm going to get you. Like it just felt like guys just getting amped up yelling at each other. 
all right, let's fight. Like it just. I'll see you in three weeks at Clash at the Castle on the (laughs) WWE Network. Only nine ninety nine. Like that's what it would be. I'm gonna beat your ass in front of the WWE universe in a you know in in our match at the show at the big premium live event. You know, and 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 the and everybody will obviously jump on the pro wrestling we're wrestlers type of line. But that was the uh, that was the end of it, and that it was the was cherry. The fi- that it was, was the cherry, the on, cherry on everything that had been built up that he said to that point, which right. cannot be ignored. This was spectacular, and we have a new sound drop. We're wrestlers in a wrestling ring. Let's just freaking wrestle. I mean, come on, that's easily part of the board. Probably will be forever. It was an incredible promo segment, and yes, you mentioned this earlier, and we're going to talk about it a little more in a second. But between what we've gotten the last couple of weeks on SmackDown. Plus that Monday night, they have not just cemented Drew as a main eventer again. They have cemented him as top two guy in the company. It is Roman Reigns, Mm -hmm. 1A, Drew McIntyre, 1B. And this match at Clash at the Castle feels like a WrestleMania main event. It does. It does. And it also makes me feel like we're not going to throw in Karrion Cross into this match to take a pin. Like I, we're going to talk it, about they, that. We're going to book the damn territory. Yeah, we are. We, we, are. we will, but I, we'll see. But it doesn't, it really feels like they're leaning into Drew Roman here. But it, I don't know. It does. And that's, the, that's kind of the interesting part about carrying Cross. It is. And, and the Cross aspect we're going to get into. So let's keep going with what happened on Raw. So we did get McIntyre, Owens, KO hit a running cannonball to a big pop and a frog splash off the apron. He reversed a DDT for a near fall. McIntyre stopped a flying senton with double knees, hit a Mishinoku driver for a near fall. KO hit another cannonball with Drew in the Tree of Woe. He followed with a frog splash and a senton bomb for two false finishes. KO went back to the top when McIntyre caught him for an avalanche white noise. Huge pop on that and a 2.9 false finish. KO countered Claymore with a super kick. Drew countered the stunner with a Glasgow kiss. They did a extended hockey fight. McIntyre jumped over the pop-up powerbomb and hit the future shock DDT. He set up for the Claymore when the Usos interfered for the disqualification. After 15 minutes, McIntyre cleared the ring of the Usos, but he ate a stunner from Owens. KO then stared at Drew. He told the Usos, the tribal chief owes me one. The Usos went to capitalize when McIntyre took them out again with a Glasgow kiss and a Claymore. And so Drew still stood tall at the end. Then he looked into the camera and he said, Roman, I will see you on Friday. Well, guess what they did here, Chris? They freaking wrestled. Okay. Uh, This was a total banger. They saved the DQ until the very last moment. If you're going to do a DQ, you don't just do it after eight minutes. You do it at the very end of the match. It pissed off the fans. It got heat on the Usos. That's a good thing if you have to use it. This was on its way to an A match. You guys know I have to downgrade when it's a DQ or a countout finish. Four stars, A minus. But it was it was honestly better than that. It just was. It was fantastic. Owens was elevated. McIntyre looked world champion level strong. And we have a really interesting potential storyline with KO, maybe going after the tribal chief, maybe going after the bloodline. Is he going to team up with Sammy if Sammy gets treated poorly? He mentioned him earlier in that promo. Are they the guys who take the tag team titles off the Usos? For me, this was a win, 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 as Michael Scott's handbook would say. Great stuff all around. And yes, an acceptable use of a disqualification. It did make sense. You can't have KO lose after that promo. And you certainly can't have McIntyre lose after his promo. I mentioned at the beginning of the show that I didn't think the crowd was great throughout this episode of Raw in Washington, D.C. But one thing they were really into was this match. And it was because it was one, because the match was good. It was two, because you had a clear face and heel. 
And but three, it was because of the promo leading up to it. You couldn't help but be emotionally invested in that match mm-hmm. because they gave it to you right after all those things that they just said. So this was a fantastic match, like you said. You figured it wasn't going to be a clean finish for one or the other. Not surprising with the DQ finish, but you got a lot out of it. It makes you want to see more of it. And it extended Uso's McIntyre. And they said, hey, see you Friday. You know, it was a nice little like, hey, tune in on Friday because right. I'm, I'm going to respond to this. Like, Well, great, did you like this? Because you can watch more of it Friday night on SmackDown. Yes, exactly. You know? So yeah. uh, very this was this this was um, I easily this whole thing was the best part of Raw and probably of the weekend. Oh, this was easily the best. Yeah. From the start of the promo McIntyre's promo all the way to the end. This was the best thing on WWE TV this week. Were you annoyed at all that McIntyre just showed up on Raw, even though they have the brand split? I wish, the only thing I wish is that it wasn't promoted earlier in the show and that Drew like just came through the crowd or pulled up to the arena in a car and stormed in and commentary is like, wait, that's a SmackDown superstar. He's not supposed to be here. I would have liked that to be added to it because he came out like it was scheduled when he's not supposed to be on that show. I'm fine with it because he's the number one contender for the Universal and WWE Championships, which is technically a both brands championship. Okay. Um, and they explained it. You know, they said, hey, he's on SmackDown. He's coming to Raw. It's not like he just showed up and didn't say they didn't acknowledge. They that did say he's like a SmackDown that. superstar. They did. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was fine with the way they, they acknowledged what it was, but also he's the number one contender. So he can bounce around like Roman. Can. Would you and say they would you say they acknowledged him? They acknowledge. Okay. Uh, real quick, before we get to the good, the bad, and the ugly, let's book the damn territory on this, right? What is going to happen at Clash at the Castle? What would we have happen at Clash at the Castle? I find it interesting that Paul Heyman is still out because that presents an opening for something to happen that otherwise would not. In other words, WWE management booking something for Roman Reigns that he wouldn't want, but doesn't have Paul Heyman there to serve as his special counsel, his advocate, the guy who would ensure that WWE doesn't pull a fast one on him, if you want, right? Unfriendly booking, let's say. And I still think there is a possibility out there that they try to split the titles at this event. They have Karrion Cross contend for the Universal Championship as the first match on the show, injure Reigns, who wins, Reigns wins and retains, And then he fights McIntyre in the main event for the WWE Championship. That would allow the titles to be split while giving Reigns an excuse for the loss and putting McIntyre over in Cardiff. Otherwise, why is Heyman out? Unless it's for personal reasons that haven't been reported. Because it was clearly written into SummerSlam that he was going to take that F5, which if Paul Heyman's taking an F5 from Brock Lesnar, he should be out of action for an Mm -hmm. extended period of time. But what gives me pause here is that WWE keeps mentioning the titles being undisputed in both titles. They use it plural. And the United States Championship right now on Raw is as strong as it has been in years. And it's only been three weeks that they've been pushing it hard. It seems to be getting elevated with the intent that it's going to be the main title on Raw, at least from an interim standpoint. The problem if the two title defenses booking doesn't happen, is this. What's the point of debuting Cross during the build to clash at a castle, at the castle, if he's not going to factor into it somehow? Is it really just so he can like 
force a DQ finish and distract McIntyre and excuse a loss at a show that big, I don't think WWE, especially Triple H, would do that. It would be extremely disappointing. Putting him in the match to make it a triple threat would suck air out of the match, as you mentioned earlier, given he's done really nothing to deserve a main event spot. Honestly, he doesn't even deserve a universal title match unless he somehow gets his hands on Roman Reigns and beats the shit out of him. But at least it would make a little bit more sense if it opened the show. The other thing that could happen, Chris, is Drew McIntyre being the one to topple Roman Reigns and Drew being a babyface, being a good guy, saying, hey, you know, Raw deserves a champion just like SmackDown deserves a champion. So I'm going to relinquish one of the titles, the WWE Championship, and WWE then has the ability to crown a new champion at Survivor Series or one of their ensuing events. I don't really know what direction that they're going to go. You seem dead set on Drew McIntyre winning the titles. My hesitancy with that is what about Cody Rhodes? Like, what is the plan for WrestleMania when Cody returns if he is not the one to defeat Roman Reigns? Is it a split title and Rollins has one of them and he beats Rollins for it? Still huge, still monumental, and Cody gets his moment, not as monumental as him beating Roman Reigns. What's the rock status for WrestleMania? How does that factor in? Do they take the title off Reigns here? Because when he comes back, he's going to start the feud with The Rock and he's going to take multiple months off. Do they really want to do that right now? While the company and product is super freaking hot to take your number one star, take the title off of him after a two-year reign and then have him disappear for three months. Is that the plan? I don't know what the answer is. I'm just not convinced at this moment that Drew McIntyre is walking out of Clash at the Castle as the undisputed champion. One of them, I think very good chance. Both of them, I don't know about that. Your first idea there of Roman having two matches at Clash of the Castle, I I, I hate that because that immediately takes away from, from Drew's, uh, win. Drew's win. It, it You've built Drew McIntyre up to this point. He has to be the guy to do it and, he, and do it in the UK. Like Cody Rhodes, he's hurt. He'll be back at some point, maybe Royal Rumble. I don't know. But Clash of the Castle is also September 3rd, which is week one of college football. It's also a week or so before NFL really gets going. One week, yes. Yeah, so if you were going to do it, this is probably the time to do it until post-football season. Is it though? When Reigns is your top draw and you're about to enter football season where your ratings always go down, so yeah, are they're going to go down anyway. Well, that's what I'm asking. Are you taking the title off reign saying, hey, they're going to go down anyway. We might as well make the change now. And maybe it injects some life and excitement into a product that people have said, hey, the, you know, the champion's great. We love him. We buy tickets for him. But it is kind of getting monotonous. Or do you try to keep the title on reigns to say, hey, during a period where our ratings are going to go down, they might go down even more if he's not champion. The problem is Roman's only on TV once every three weeks anyway. I know. Yeah. It, it's not like it's going to come. It's not like he's going to win the title and be so, back more. Real so quick. if you're only getting Roman once or twice a month, to me, that doesn't make any real I- impactful change on the ratings. Don't forget the reports about Roman's time off were that that was a summer schedule. Now, maybe right. that is going to be a schedule going forward in terms of TV. But reports initially were that that was from like June through the end of August, you know, and then once mm-hmm. the fall came back, yes. he'd be on TV more regularly. So mm-hmm. we don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Right. 
But all if that I, factors I, into if, it. Yeah. If I'm just if I'm booking the territories, I'm giving I'm giving uh, Drew his big big moment. Clash of the Castle wins all the titles. Roman's reign of terror is over. Yada yada yada. And the idea of relinquishing one of the titles, I I that's generally where I would go. But you'd kind of have to build to it because Drew's whole thing is I'm going to be there every day. I'm going to be a fighting champion. I'm going to do it with the fans. If he immediately says, "Now nah, I'm only going to be on one show," I don't think that really works either. So I think he wins both titles, holds both titles for a month, two months, whatever, probably feuds with Karrion Cross in there. Um, and, 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 and go from there. And, and Co- by WrestleMania, Rollins probably has one of the belts. Cody does his return and does Rollins again. I get, it, Cody coming back, it has to be against Rollins. So unless he's coming back well before the Royal Rumble, I think he's got to come back at the Rumble, around the Rumble, and do Rollins at Mania. Like that's kind of, that's how you kind of finish that story based on where Cody left off. So, I, I just, I look, I love Tribal Chief Roman Reigns. This is one of my all-time favorite characters. But the past eight months have sucked because yeah. he's barely ever there. And and they made yeah. him undisputed champion. And they made him undisputed the champion. product, yeah. Yeah, so we, we don't see it. He got both titles and we don't see him as much. It's just, right. we've complained about it they, times. <laughs> they gave him more and we see him less, which yeah, is the opposite just, of what you're supposed I, to do. I think... Yeah. If you're Triple H, if you're like, all right, I'm putting my stamp on this new era here, it's all right, we're going to have the champion on the show every day. You know, like <laughs> that's going to do more for ratings if, if unless Roman is obviously going to be back every week. But that's the way I would handle it. And you're potentially building up challengers, right? You have Karrion Cross on SmackDown. You have Kevin Owens on Raw. Potentially Seth Rollins could quickly move into a main event role. You know, so so there are people who are it seems to be setting up as challengers for Drew McIntyre right now, whether that's undisputed or whether that's for an individual title remains to be seen, but there is plenty of reason to believe that one, if not both titles will change hands at clash of the castle. Uh, real quick, before we move on, you said yada, 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 which I literally don't know if I've heard anyone say that since 2000. Uh, people say it all the time. Still, do they still, is it in the vernacular? I think yada yada is a thing. Not like a yada yada yada. That's too many. I only do two yada. No, you did three. You said yada yada yada. I did three. You yada yada over the best part. I guess I did. You mentioned the best. I I, I guess I did. Yeah, I did. Exactly. Exactly. Anyone who gets that reference. I get get the um, reference. I get the reference. Don't worry. You got the reference? I don't know if anyone else. We have a lot of young listeners. I don't know if they got that. Seinfeld reference. It's it's a show on Netflix. You can go find it. Um, Recommend you doing that. But But, if there's anybody out there, if there's any of the getting overheads, if, if yada yada is in your vocabulary, uh, let me know. I'll oh, I wasn't crapping on you for it. I was, I was honestly just trying no, to get I the, bit, know, though. I was just nobody, to get the bisque line out. It. I was just trying to get the quote out there. Yes. Um, and hopefully people understood the reference. By the way, while we're taping this show, I said the uh, financial contributions are closed. They are. But literally right now as we're taping, I want to thank Mary G uh, for doing a contribution as well. So thank you. That was unexpected. They are now closed. Please, once you hear this, do not contribute anymore. But thank you very much, Mary, for thank that you last minute contribution. Very much appreciated. Chris, that is the main event of today's show, which means it is time to move into our second segment. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Plenty left still to talk about from SmackDown and Raw. We are going to begin with Liv Morgan and Shayna Baszler's scheduled contract signing. Ronda Rousey surprisingly entered through the crowd with a duffel bag of money. 
She dumped it all out on the table to pay her a fine. She said being the baddest gets expensive, but she can afford it. Officials got her to leave after she took a woman down, but didn't really hurt her any further than that. Baszler walked out to confront Rousey and said, you get what you want in WWE by playing by the rules. Rousey seemed really disappointed to hear her say that. She said Baszler used to be a killer, and then she walked off. I thought this was a great segment conceptually. Baszler thinks she knows the way. Clearly, it hasn't worked for her on the main roster. And Rousey could potentially be someone to like help her along. It would be great if they tagged and dominated the women's tag team division sometime soon. They could have been in this tournament. They could have been the ones to win the titles. Obviously, we do think it's going to be someone else because maybe someone else is returning. So it makes sense the way they're doing it. But Rousey and Baszler as a tag team would elevate Shayna, allow two friends to work together. And I think it would be pretty damn entertaining, aside from the fact that neither of them is great on the mic. But what we saw Friday from Ronda in this segment, it was really her take on the man. It was blatantly obvious. Becky Lynch literally dumped money in the ring to pay one of her fines a few years ago. It's also the right character for Ronda. But I found myself wondering, was this supposed to be a heel segment? Because the crowd did not buy into her as a heel if it was supposed to be. It's really strange how the SummerSlam finish made Rousey more likable as a babyface. I understand why people, some people, are booing or giving Liv shit. But I am surprised that Rousey attacking an official, attacking a big-time babyface like Liv, doing it the way she did, got her over more as a face than the heel turn, which I have to believe was the plan. So this segment was good. The only problem I have, or I had, I should say, was doing this before the contract signing sucked all the baby face wind out of Liv's sales. This should have happened after the contract signing instead. This whole thing was so weird. And not necessarily because of how it was booked, but because of how it was received. That like It wasn't just that Ronda didn't get heel heat in that segment. She got loud cheers for being essentially a badass character. That's what her character is now. And now people are behind it because this is the cool Ronda Rousey. This isn't just smiling and shaking hands and yada yada, you know, trying to cut a promo about happy to be here or whatever. Like, no, this was legit. This, they finally tapped into Ronda's just going to talk shit and, and try to back it up. And people are into that. Like, you're right. That this was her Becky Lynch, the man segment. And so, and then yeah, she I I very strange to put that before the, the 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 signing. But once you did and she got that reaction, it was done. That signing wasn't gonna mean shit. Exactly. Like, it, it, like, it could have happened backstage where she dumped money out for Adam Pierce and then Shayna interrupted them and then they did the like, same do, talk. It do, could have happened you, after the segment where Liv did put we'll talk about what happened in the segment. Um after the segment, Liv leaves. Baszler's still there. Rousey comes in afterward to pick her up. They could. There are so many different ways they could have done it. This was the wrong order to do it. I just, I just wonder if they thought Ronda was going to get booed for it, and then people would cheer that she went away and Liv Morgan showed up. I don't know, but whatever they wanted to do, what they've got on their hands over the last couple of weeks is kind of a face Ronda Rousey in a crowd that's kind of turning on Liv. And a I'm little bit, it, it's, it's a, it's a, a little bit. it's less than a quarter turn. It's really, they're, yeah. not, they're not turning on her. They, they turn on the finish. So every time she right. mentions beating Ronda Rousey, they boo her or chant her tapped yeah. out. But when yeah. she doesn't mention that they're cheering her. 
Yes, that, so, that that's a fair way to put it. So stop Rhonda having did, her mention it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. Rhonda did kind of get screwed, and she's pissed off about it, and everybody can relate to that. So so right. that's that's um that's not a heel. So I don't really um I I don't know I don't know what the plans are or if the plans will change or what, but it's a very intriguing situation. Well, let's get to the contract signing. So Baszler said Liv is next on her list. She signed the contract and promised to either tear Liv apart or put her to sleep. Morgan came down in a sling. She called Baszler a bootleg Rousey and got a nice pop, actually, when she said that. She said she beat Rousey twice. As I noted, that is when a very light you tapped out chant Mm -hmm. started and really quickly wrapped up. Baszler slammed Liv's arm onto the table, twisted it with a foot on her face before stomping her elbow and snapping her arm. Liv eventually countered with a really sloppy bulldog out of the corner through a table to end the segment. Fans at ringside were on their feet the entire time. So from the moment Rousey came out through the end of the segment, they were all standing. So credit that everyone was excited for it. And I will say that this was good. Both parts of it were good. But as I noted, the crowd was more subdued for Liv and Baszler. It was also weird to do it the way we talked. It was strange not to have an official out there for a contract signing, Adam Pearce yeah. or someone. Yep. The entire thing worked. It built their story to Cardiff. The subsection turning on Liv is kind of ridiculous. I do think, though, if they go to Cardiff, she beats Baszler clean. It's just them. There's no Rousey. I do think Liv will get a huge ovation, and maybe that can carry back over to the United States. But I don't know. It's just, this isn't bad what they're doing. It's maybe one of the weakest conceptual creative storylines thus far that Triple H has created. They need to figure out how to turn this around a little bit and nail it so all the women come out strong and in the categories that WWE wants them to be in. It's very weird that they went from Liv Morgan versus legit MMA badass Ronda Rousey to Liv Morgan versus legit MMA badass Shayna Baszler. Like these are probably the two least realistic people that Liv could beat in 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 fights. So it's, 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 it's really hard to kind of suspend your disbelief, stretch it enough that you can kind of see it happening. I actually really liked the SummerSlam match. They told a good story of Liv being quick enough to get out of these various things that Ronda was trying to do. Shayna is, but Shayna's not Ronda Rousey. She has essentially been a loser her entire time on the main roster. She was great in NXT, but th- that was years ago. The general WWE fan only knows her as someone who loses all the time. And so how did they tell that story in this match? I don't know. I like the segment. By the way, I'm giving it a good, the whole thing. Um, And I I like the bulldog finish at the end. And yeah, the crowd was definitely uh, into it. But I'm very curious how this match goes. And if they try to do the same thing they did with Ronda, is Ronda going to interfere? I think that's going to be kind of hanging over your head Mm -hmm. as you watch the matches. Is Ronda going to show up? And I think that's a problem. And I have to assume she will be. You know, she'll be there. It's a huge show. How do you not have Ronda Rousey, one of your top women in the company right now? By the way, again, let's not forget who's not there. Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, Sasha Banks, Naomi. We don't know whether they're returning or not, but those four people are not in your company and you have Ronda Rousey under contract. She clearly doesn't mind working and traveling. I have to imagine she's going to be at that show. Does she confront Liv after? Do they make the title change next month? And we just say, hey, you know what? It was nice that Liv had a couple months but clearly they wanted to put the title back on Rousey. Let's not forget, Rousey has said numerous times in interviews, she doesn't want or need to be champion. So do they force the title back on her? 
I don't exactly know what they're going to do, but you made really good points. The end result, though, is they need to figure this out. They have to figure out a way to turn it around so that they get the response from the crowd that they want, because right now it does not seem like they are. And hurting Liv, who was super over as a babyface champion, who won it in a big moment, a career-defining moment, something that we've all been waiting for for a really long time, I don't want her title reign to go the way Big E's did. And right now, it kind of seems like it's going to. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. Okay. We got some big matches from TV this week. Perhaps none bigger than the Intercontinental Championship on the line. Gunther defending against Shinsuke Nakamura. Before the match, we finally got that Intercontinental title retrospective like we did for the United States title a couple weeks ago. There was also a second match preview package, and Pat McAfee was pumped up to see his favorite guy in Shinsuke go after the working man's title. This is the key about the Triple H era. We asked for something reasonable. We thought something reasonable was missing, and we got it. We wondered why this wasn't done the same week as the U.S. title package, and even if it was an oversight, they still delivered. So simple, yet so important. And now we don't have to ask for it again. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. All right. I thought you might have a comment. Yeah, 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 no, yeah it, it was, <laughs> no, it, they made the Intercontinental Championship feel like a big deal. It, honestly, they made it feel like an even bigger deal than the U.S. title because in WWE history, it, has the it is. And that's what we've been wanting for years from this title. And so to, to finally give it to us, loved it. My point is just like on the show, there have been so few criticisms that we've really had thus far, right, of what Triple H has done because we're taking our time, right? We're giving him mm-hmm. a few months to see how this transpires before we kind of review the whole thing. And one of the negatives, one of the criticisms I had is, why did you build up the US title so much and not do the same for the Intercontinental? And here you go, they do it. So like all these little criticisms and issues and nitpicks that we have, they end up kind of getting filled in. And I just, I find that so cool that like, we don't have to keep asking for stuff. Eventually it gets done. And again, that's just one example. Tru- we'll see if it trust him. You, 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 we knew this video was going to come for the Intercontinental I hoped. I hoped it was. We, we knew because they'd done it for the U.S. title. And back to what I said last week, we generally trust Triple H being in charge. Yeah. Like, like we know, what they'll, we know they'll, they will try their best to fill in the gaps and not just drop something or not acknowledge something. And that's a good feeling. I really need to get some Triple H drops, I think, on the uh, soundboard here, because I think all I have is sometimes predictable things are good, and that does not fit every circumstance. So <laughs> we'll get some Triple H drops. If anyone has ideas, uh, DX stuff, stuff from back in the day, uh, or even more recently in the ad- in the uh, authority era when he was on screen a lot, let me know, and I'll add it to the soundboard. Tweet us, DM us, at Getting Overcast I, I got- on Twitter. I forgot to promote our Twitter account now that I'm thinking about our show intro. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Tweet us ideas for Triple H sound drops as well. I got one. One, one the, the famous one. We said talk about being students of the game. Well, I am the fucking game. Okay, great, perfect. That, that That's works. a great one. Find someone maybe find that audio or video file for me, and I'll I'll cut it and I'll add it to the soundboard. Anyway, back to Gunther and Nakamura. This main evented SmackDown as the Intercontinental Championship should. McAfee said he was too focused on the match to dance during Nakamura's entrance. I thought that was pretty cool. Now, Love that. This could have started with thirty minutes left in the show. But between a video package, commercials, we got about half of that. Gunther dominated Nakamura until Shinsuke countered a splash into a triangle and then an armbar. Gunther countered back into a seated double underhook suplex, a great spot. Nakamura hit the sliding powerbomb, but immediately ate a shotgun dropkick. He escaped the powerbomb and hit a huge knee to Gunther's jaw. 
and the back of his head consecutively, but Gunther countered Kinshasa with a massive lariat for a false finish. The crowd was on fire, chanting, this is awesome. Shinsuke worked an injured arm, but Gunther hit another shotgun dropkick to Shinsuke's back, plus a powerbomb for the one, two, three to retain the title in about 14 or 15 minutes. Gunther then sold the arm after the bell. Nakamura was pissed and cameras zoomed in on him and you saw his battered chest. By the way, Gunther chopped him in the front and the back. So I have no idea what his back <laughs> looked like, but his chest was absolutely blood blistered and looked awful, like in a good way. Uh, yes, folks, you know what I'm about to say? This was a banger. We got full King of Strong style from Shinsuke Nakamura and Gunther was at the top of his game. I kept thinking during this match, what if we got this five years ago? Like how amazing, mm -hmm. both of them a little bit younger, Nakamura moving a little bit better. Holy crap, this would have been amazing. Shinsuke's older, he's a little bit slower, but this had all aspects of a great match. We criticize most of the time when there's rematches, whether it's WWE, AEW, when there's immediate rematches. In this case, I don't care. I badly want this again. 20 minutes at Clash at the Castle. Give me what I want. I should do the Batista sound drop while I'm at it. Give me what I want. I want a rematch here. What we got on Friday was fantastic. The fans consistently popped. The Intercontinental title was fully reestablished. What else could you want? I went four stars and an A minus and an obvious good. Obvious good. And it's an interesting, th this is kind of a, a good look into situations. Look, under Triple H, they're doing longer matches. They're, they're emphasizing the wrestling a lot more. So it's been interesting what ones crowds react to and what they don't. We'll get into some on Raw that they didn't react to, but this was one that the crowd in Raleigh, North Carolina did react to. And it's kind of what you said before, like kind of the smaller towns, which have been the Smackdowns recently, are just getting better reactions. And it, it's been really interesting to watch. They were, they were in Raleigh, but they kept saying NC State University. I don't know why they didn't want to say Raleigh. But yeah, crowd was into this super, that, that adds so much. And they deserved it. It was a great match. I did not, know what to expect out of this because it's two guys who don't cut many promos or English isn't their first language. The build of this has been kind of, eh. I, I was really curious what the reaction was going to be, but they put on a banger and the crowd was really into it. I think that's, that's the kind of thing where Triple H can point to and say, this is where I think this is going to work. What I, what I'm trying to do and love that's mad. Love that the IC title main events, the show they built to it throughout the show. They did this on raw too with the U S title. They they telling us, hey, something coming up later in the show is a big deal. You're going to want to watch it. That's something they just did not do for years under Vince and, and the previous people. So it's been really great to see that. It feels like a big deal even before it happens. And then when they deliver a great match like this, it's, it's awesome. That match, Bobby Lashley and Champa, the two triple threat U.S. matches for the qualifiers and Drew McIntyre and Kevin Owens. Those five matches over the last few weeks that is the Triple H like calling card, right? Bangers. There's going to be a banger on TV. We're going to make it make sense, um, possibly for a title, possibly not. Only two of those five were literally directly for a title. And you are going to pop from this type of wrestling. I think the problem is, in certain circumstances, like Raw this past Monday, they almost did too many of them on one show, mm -hmm. and it wasn't yep. enough variety for the crowd. And I think that is where it begins to weigh on people, especially when on Raw, uh, one of those matches was 22 minutes. And, and again, for me, that's great. I loved it. I, I had a blast. 
But when you're asking fans who are used to seven, nine, 11 minute matches to watch 22, 17 and 15, some of them consecutively, they're going to get tired, especially when there's kids in the audience and it's a three hour show. So that that's where, you know, they, they get into a rough spot. But this was awesome. Uh, are you down for a rematch? You want them to run it back at Clash? No, just because I want no. a more interesting story. Look, I love the match. I'd love to see the match again. But I, it, I just, I, I think these two have kind of hit the ceiling on how big they can feel. And I don't know. I, 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 I can't even off the top of my head think of somebody else who would be better. But just, I want to see Gunther with somebody else now. He's been with Shinsuke stuff for a month plus now. And, kind of want to see him and Ludwig get involved with somebody else. I, I think you're right that if they were going to do a rematch in Albuquerque or, you know, Orlando, I think they've reached the ceiling. You're discounting what Gunther means in Europe and what Shinsuke well, Nakamura. I want, Guth, I want Gunther to have a match. No, no, no. And what Shinsuke Nakamura means to those fans as well. That yes, is a strong true. style crowd. You You get that match on that stage in front of those fans. It's it's going to look completely it's not going to look different, but it's going to feel different. It's going to feel like a huge freaking match. I promise you if they do it. We'll see. All right. Uh, Ricochet was blinged out backstage laughing about beating Happy Corbin last week. He said he's feeling himself more than he has in a while, and he's next in line for the Intercontinental title. Corbin then blindside attacked him, kicked dirt in his face and laughed, saying, we're just getting started. Well, no shit. You're just getting started. (laughs) It wouldn't be a Baron Corbin feud if it only lasted one week. Uh, but obviously, I think it's okay for this to continue. It's a short-term feud. Ricochet needs something to do. It just can't go on too long. If it's one month, I'm fine with it. If it goes past that, I'm going to go crazy. And there's just something about Baron Corbin, whether it's Vince, whether it's Triple H, they can't allow this guy to have a short feud. But Ricochet, I'll give him credit. He's been way more comfortable on the mic recently. It's showing through. And he's looked good every time he's on TV. So I'll say this was good, but let's see how long this goes. I got another drop we got to add, and that is the bad news, Barrett. I'm afraid I've got some bad news. And that is that this Corbin thing is most certainly going to take up two months or something like that. Until I see a Corbin feud that does not last three months, I'm going to believe everyone does. I know this is a new direction, a new era, but it's it's Corbin. It's just, it's what he does. We'll see. I, I did like this. I have liked Ricochet. He does seem a bit more comfortable, you know, so far. Uh, last couple weeks. So I'm intrigued, but I'm with you on that. We'll see. You know, it's funny. I actually say I'm afraid I've got some bad news in my like life outside the show. <laughs> I think I've probably only said it twice on the show and I can't imagine why I don't have that as a sound drop. So you're right. That will get added as well. We're making some headway on the uh, soundboard, really stepping it up and improving it. We don't need as many of like these apparently. That is one big pile of shit. Like we're not as angry anymore. So I have to like replace some of the, (laughs) the bad sound drops, which is how I have them categorized with like other fun ones. And and that's a really good one to add. So good call on that. Chris Uh, Champa on raw got put over for having a great match last week. He said coming close doesn't count and he would capitalize on his next title opportunity. The Miz said AJ Styles interference was the reason Champa lost. And he got angry. The WWE gave Styles a title match. Miz then gifted Champa a two of two card featuring them hugging together. It was bedazzled on the outside and Champa liked it. Now, look, Miz and Champa, it remains an odd pairing. But now that Champa gets to speak and be an equal partner, I don't know what's happened, but it's starting to hit for me. Like it was it was almost cute that they 
shared this and Ch- Champa liked it and he smiled and like, I don't know, like uh, something is going on with it where now I'm buying into Miz and Champa because Champa is now on Miz's level and not just a guy yeah. who is silent and beating people up for Miz. It's a completely different dynamic than it used to be. Yeah. Now, we're, we're, uh, Ch- we'll work quick. Ch- Champa getting to speak for one is part of it. Right. He's, he's finally feeling like a real character. And the other part of it is that Miz is always at his best when he's working with so-called internet darlings. Like he knows how to lean True. into that, to get a reaction from those fans and that type of stuff. So he's going to do the Johnny Gargano things a couple times. Cause it'll, it'll make some people mad. I think he's doing a great job with it too. You mentioned that they complained that AJ got a title shot. I was so Glad they mentioned that because I was my brother was in town over the weekend. We watched Raw together, and when they announced the match, AJ versus Bobby, first thing my brother says is, "Wait, why does he get a title shot? He mm-hmm. lost the match before." And they acknowledged it. So cool. I'm good with it. Like it doesn't need to be explained thoroughly. It just needs to be acknowledged that the heels are pissed off about it. So that was the next. That. that was the next thing I was going to say. They were totally justified in that reasoning. Yes, Styles lost the tournament, the mini tournament that they had. And Lashley just defended the title and beat Champa. So for what purpose is Styles getting a title match? It, it, it didn't make any sense. By the way, I do want to give this good separately because it was a really good backstage uh, segment. I assume you feel yes. the same. Yep. But I had the same thought. You had the thought. Your brother had the thought. I'm sure a lot of the audience did. So it was great that they mentioned it. And heels are always the best, just like villains in movies, comic book villains, when their motivation is justified. And this was... Totally justified for them to feel that way. So we got a match, Miz and Champa against Mustafa Ali and Cedric Alexander. Ali and Alexander got a quick pre-match promo. They were really pumped about the opportunity. Cedric tried a handstand off the ropes, a handspring type of deal off the ropes, but Champa hit a basement dropkick to his face. The crowd loved it. Ali got a really nice hot tag. Cedric countered the skull-crushing finale into a Mishinoku driver. Champa then put Miz's foot on the ropes to break the fall. Ali knocked Champa over the announce table with a tope. Ali then dropkicked Miz in the chest, which reversed the pinning combination and got a false finish for Alexander. Champa blind tagged before Miz ate a super kick. Ali went for a 450, but Miz moved as Champa also caught him with a pump knee as he was flying, falling down from the 450, hitting fairytale ending for the win in 10 minutes. By the way, that is two incredible finishes involving Mustafa Ali recently. The Styles clash off the 450 and this pump knee, you know, to interrupt the 450. Amazing. As I said, Champa hit this fairytale ending. They got the win. Miz's nose got busted open big time in the finish. It was action-packed. Awesome match. No pun intended there. Uh, that alone propelled this. I thought the 3.5 stars and a B for a match. Champa going over again. Ali and Alexander both getting a featured spot on Raw where they got to show out. They didn't just go there and eat a, a loss. They like got better because of it. You can't expect them to win their first TV match as a team. It established them as competitive, legitimate, and that's a massive positive. So the promo earlier was good. The match, the finish, what it did for Ali and Alexander, all of it good. Definitely a good 10 minutes for this match. And in a previous situation, you might expect it to be five. Maybe. And this is, again, where it comes back to letting people look good in a loss helps everybody. And Corey Graves actually said that essentially on commentary about Champa losing to Lashley. He's like, you, he's like, you can, 
you can get momentum, you can you can you can get stronger from a loss, and that's what Champ is doing. It's also kind of a re- it's indirectly referencing Ali and Alexander on the other side of this. So definitely a good. During a fight backstage that we'll talk about later, a hand was randomly like extended into an open doorway. Later backstage, personnel extinguished a trash can that presumably had a fire in it at one point. We never saw the fire. And then during another backstage segment, a shadow was kind of shown sneaking behind a road case ahead of the United States Championship match. So I'm giving you that context for what we're about to go over. So we have the U.S. title match, Lashley defending against Styles. There was a video narrated by Corey Graves that actually gave this like an epic feel. It was here I realized they probably did another match to continue the establishment of the U.S. title from the last two weeks. Commentary did point out both of them are fan favorites. The crowd would be split. And that was another odd part of this decision. They had two baby faces going against each other. And when the match began, we got a dual chant immediately. Lashley worked Styles back when Miz and Champa walked down after a few minutes to a tiny balls chant. Lashley pounced Styles off the apron. Champa distracted the referee. Miz was about to punch Styles when suddenly Dexter Loomis jumped over the barricade and was tackled by security on top of commentary. This is one of those times where Raw immediately cut to black and went to a commercial almost making believe like it was a fan that jumped the barricade. When we came back from commercial, Loomis was cited by commentary by name. Uh, We learned Miz and Champa were ejected from ringside. Styles picked Lashley off the ropes for three quarters of a rack bomb and a near fall. Lashley hit the Dominator for a near fall, and then he did a helicopter. Styles countered a spear with a knee and locked in the calf crusher, but Lashley directly countered into a hurt lock on the canvas, which Styles escaped by rolling over for a near fall. Lashley dodged a phenomenal forearm, running into the ropes, rebounding off of them with the spear to beat AJ Styles in 22 minutes. By the way, I believe that's how Lashley beat Styles the last time that they were in like a tag team match together or something like that. And I think Roman Reigns beat AJ Styles the exact same way. So interesting that that is the finish with bigger guys. This ended up being as odd as the match booking initially, as far as I'm concerned. Look, it was damn good wrestling and it got a ton of time at 22 minutes. But the Miz Champa interference was totally unnecessary. Loomis didn't factor into anything and the crowd was dead for most of it, either because they didn't know who to cheer or it was exhausted at 10 p.m. In the end, there was really not much point in the match happening or having Styles take a loss like this unless he's going on vacation or something like that. The best parts of this were the cut to black and the submission counter. I've never seen someone counter a calf crusher directly into a hurt lock, a full Nelson like that. It was really cool. I went 3.75 stars, B plus for the match and a good overall, but I didn't love it. The book. Good overall. Yeah, good overall. Crowd was, again, yeah, dead for most of this. This this is where it was most notable, noticeable that the crowd was bad. Because WWE had spent the show building up how big of a match this is, just like did the Intercontinental, just like they did previously. Like they're telling you ahead of time, hey, this is going to be a big match. Get hyped for it. But they weren't hyped for it. And I think I think the number one reason was because it was face versus face. This is this is not an AW crowd where they come to see a great display of pro wrestling and people doing a bunch of moods and you just cheer both guys. Like, you know, there's not there's not a both these guys type of chant at a WWE show. Right. And I think that's I think more than anything, that's what killed it, because people just did not know what they're supposed to feel watching this. That's where, like you said, there's maybe too much of this kind of stuff on this episode. It was still a great match. The guys are extremely talented. 
the finish was good. Crowd got up for the finish because it was a really well done finish and all that stuff. But I think I just I think that's why they didn't really crowd didn't really connect with it. The Loomis thing. Um, well, I have a, I have, I a, DM, I have a DM slide about that. So you want me yeah, to read that ahead. first, and then yeah, okay. yeah. So sports at Sports Reality TV wrote in longtime listener. Do you have Do you guys have thoughts on where this Dexter Loomis thing is going? Could they be setting up a swerve? It feels like they want us to believe he's going after AJ Styles, but the Miz and Champa were both there for each appearance as well. Loomis and Champa are both connected to Johnny Gargano. Could this be setting up something to do with his return, like he was sent to get Champa away from Miz? So. I also do believe this is a bit of a swerve. I don't know if I agree with exactly what you're saying, but I do notice that the Champa-Miz pairing, as I mentioned, it was odd from the onset. And why would he be so enamored with Miz, with Miz now? It made sense initially based on the storyline they were doing. But now the fact that he already proved himself, Miz hasn't really helped him. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. What I found notable is Loomis tried to invade the ringside area on Monday when Miz was going to punch Styles. If he was there to attack Styles, why would he do so when someone is about to beat him down? That's what made me think about it and say, it almost kind of seems like he was trying to protect Styles or stop Miz. So we're going to have to see what happens next week, but I do not think it's as cut and dry as Loomis has something out for AJ Styles and wants to attack him. I honestly have no clue, and I like that. I like that I have no clue where this is going. I talked last week about how I wish they had made it more of a mystery and more like it wasn't supposed to happen. Like, you know, they said Dexter Loomis's name quietly last week when he makes the appearance, but they also avoided him. But then on YouTube, they upload the Dexter Loomis crashes raw videos. <laughs> like, it's, they're pretty clearly telling you what it is. Same thing here. He attacks. They, they cut to black like it's not supposed to happen. But then on the Instagram page, they got a video of security taking Dexter Loomis out. They're calling him Dexter Loomis in the arena. The spotlight is on him as they're taking him out. So they're like trying to kind of balance it both ways. Mm -hmm. When I when I want them to lean into like completely like this is not supposed to happen and we're not going to talk about it. Like the car accident in the background, like the fire in the barrel or whatever it was this week. They're throwing these Easter eggs in the background, which I still don't quite get. But I like that I don't get it. And so. Well, it, my, my assumption really quick is that yeah. he's doing things backstage that are creating distractions so that security is bothered. So he has a better, easier way to get to the ring. Right. That's right. what I've assumed. It, it, that's what I've assumed, too. I like that they're not telling us that so far. I, I really like this. I don't know what the hell is going on or what's going to happen. Part of me just wishes they were working me a little bit more, essentially of just not acknowledging Dexter Loomis. If you're going to mm -hmm. cut to black during your show, like this isn't supposed to happen, then why are you posting the video of the aftermath on your Instagram page? Like it's, it's, it's like there's too many kind of channels here and, and they, there's not a real consistency. But in terms of exactly what's on the TV only, I'm really digging it. Right, like one of the cool things, and we technically don't know what the MJF angle is or is not with AEW, but one of the really cool things is they removed him from all their packages. They're not selling his shirts anymore. Um, you know, they're not they, talking about him. They, they don't talk about him. They didn't tweet about the segment when it happened. All yeah. that type of stuff. So I like that. I do wish there was a little bit more reality with the Loomis thing. I agree. Mostly from the social media accounts. If social media didn't address it and maybe you don't put the spotlight on, commentary can still say, hey, look, that's Dexter Loomis. We know who it is. We're not stupid. We watched NXT, right? You want to 
make it clear that, again, this was a problem with old WWE under Vince. They ignored that NXT existed. So when Dewdrop shows up, no, you know, they're not allowed to say, oh, she's Piper Nevin. She's someone who uh, was a great NXT UK worker. Shayna Baszler, multi-time NXT, you know, women's champion. These are things that were ignored previously. So I'm glad they're not ignoring that it is Dexter Loomis, but I agree the presentation of it should be more, we don't want him to be here. Why is he showing up? Let's try not to hide it. If you're going to cut off the broadcast, why are you putting a spotlight on the guy? Right. And if, if you're going to acknowledge this Dexter Loomis like, like that, say he was fired. Why is he here? Like really go into right. that. And if you're, if you're going to acknowledge that. So these are little nitpicks. And that's stuff I, I that used to happen in WWF and WCW back in the day. Yes. He's not part of this company. He works for the rival. You know, why is he here? So I do yep. wish there was a little bit more of that. But again, these are nitpicks. It's still pretty damn interesting and yep, pretty freaking good. Sure. Uh, Seth Rollins cut a promo before the exclusive interview with Riddle on Raw. Rollins said Riddle should retire and start a farm in a lucrative industry, referring to weed. Uh, Riddle interrupted on the Titantron saying he's medically cleared. He's ready to take Rollins down. Rollins said, hey, dude, every time we're together, I take you out. Riddle reveals he's not at home. He's actually in the arena. He ran down and hit an exploder suplex. Rollins tripped him on the apron and set him up for a stomp on the announce table. Riddle escaped and then chased him through the crowd before celebrating with the fans in the stands to bro chance. This was just really predictable. Um, nothing wrong with it, but I love both these guys and I feel like it could have been better. Them, the storyline going into SummerSlam was basically non-existent, so they didn't do the match and they delayed it so that they could do a storyline. And the entire storyline just seems to be that Rollins attacked him a bunch of times, but there's still no reasoning behind that, right? Like it, they haven't really gone so far as to say, why Rollins has it out for Riddle. So it's right. still lacking the storyline. Uh, Riddle issued a Clash at the Challenge, Clash at the Castle Challenge, a lot of C's there, alliteration, uh, afterward. And then after Raw, WWE announced that match as official. So it is happening on the show. I'm going to say good because it was not bad. Nothing about it was bad. But this is still lacking. And there's two more Raws until Clash at the Castle. So I really hope they amp up the storytelling over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it, it was fine. Like it, it was okay. It was. I guess I'd give it a good. But yeah, you're right. It's just it's lacking juice. And I think, again, the kind of kind of crowd reaction was maybe not what I expected in in that moment. And look, I know this is like a whole pro wrestling thing. Like, oh, he's at home doing the interview. Actually, I'm not at home. I'm in the arena, and I'm mm -hmm. coming for you. But like, if you think about it for two seconds, he keeps getting kind of jumped by Rollins. Why wouldn't he just jump Rollins like backstage or something or just rush the ring while while Rollins is, is in there or something right. like that? Um, it'd be like, oh, wait, why isn't oh, uh, Riddle isn't doing his He was going to do his interview. He's not. Where did he go? He's not. And then you kind of pan out and you see, oh, that's in the arena. And then he and then he runs in and surprises him or something like that. So um, it, it was fine. But like you said, this Riddle's just kind of floating out there right now. And it, I'm not really sure where, where it's going. I liked his aggressiveness. Like the attack at SummerSlam was really good. And I, yeah. I, I enjoyed the angle that they gave us on that show to explain why the match wasn't happening and then kind of continue it forward. And also even Rollins, the stomp of Riddle on the Raw prior to it to sell why the match wasn't happening because he was injured. All of that really worked. But it's just, you know, they kept him out for two weeks and now he's back and he comes back and does that. It's just... If you're going to do that angle, if you're going to delay a match, then you got to give us more storyline for something that doesn't have one. And it's, they're not doing it. They're just they're not succeeding in that way. So, again, 
a lot of things really hitting well and, and going well across Raw and SmackDown. But like two people who are over like Rover, Liv Morgan and Riddle prior to the creative change, both of whom come from NXT, both of whom Triple H recruited and likes, and he pushed Riddle really hard in NXT. They're just kind of not working right now. And it's weird that that's the case. So again, it's not, neither is bad. Um, both are totally fine, but it, I just hope for more for, from two people who I was really into prior to the creative change. It feels like they are getting left behind a little bit or maybe not left behind. That That's incorrect. They're just, it's not as cohesive with them as it is with others. It's the best way to put it. Yeah. Uh, Judgment Day opened Raw in all black. Rhea Ripley said they've been running Raw, which is hardly true. Finn Balor said the Mysterios weren't there and that he further established his legend by beating Ray last week. I like that a lot. Very Prince Devitt type of line. Damian Priest talked shit to Edge, promising it would be clean one-on-one when he ends Edge's career next week. Priest said his second retirement, Edge's second retirement, won't be as fun as the first because Beth Phoenix will have to wheel him around in a wheelchair. Ray then surprised with an attack and he beat down Balor and Priest until Ripley stood up to him. The crowd was on its feet for this entire thing. He drop kicked the chair into Balor and beat him and Priest with it. Then he went to deliver a huge chair shot on uh, one of them. When Ripley got in the way, so he held up, didn't you know swing. That turned the tables. Ripley DDT'd Rey Mysterio into a chair, and Balor hit the coup de grace with a chair on his chest to end the segment. The promos were all solid here. I thought all three of them hit. The best part was Judgment Day finally getting real heat from the crowd. They were booed mercilessly at the beginning of that segment, and it continued. He even got, Priest even got what chance at one point, but the heat at the beginning was great, and the heat at the end was awesome too. All three of them got to shine. Ripley was the MVP of the segment. She's the MVP of the group right now. And seeing Rhea Ripley, DDT, Rey Mysterio on a chair was friggin' awesome. I love that Edge and Priest next week is booked. It's supposed to be clean. I presume we're going to get Edge and Balor safer clash at the castle. But given Priest made such a point at no one in Judgment Day being at ringside next week, it really makes me believe Dominic may be joining them after all. He'll be the one to interfere. Maybe Priest even gets to beat Edge. This was an obvious good. I thought it was a very exciting segment to open Raw. And Judgment Day finally, for the first time, feels like it has direction. It was good. I wouldn't say the first time they have direction. I think they had some direction after when they first started. Direction that they're getting across. They just keep losing. They they keep losing their direction and then kind of finding it back. I the beginning of this promo was the first time that I thought they might be using fake crowd noise because some of those boos were extremely weird and it It was just at the beginning. I thought I thought so too. I may be wrong. No, no, I I, I thought the exact I thought the exact same thing. Like, oh, they're still doing piped in crowd noise. And then Priest like reacted to the crowd and they changed their tone. So it it was real. I thought it was piped in also. I did. Rhea's promo was not great. Like you said, saying that we've dominated WWE, dominating the Mysterios. Well, no, you're not. You keep losing to them. Like (laughs) you're very much not doing that. That was not great. But she finished the segment incredibly strong. Priest promo was good. Finn's promo was good. Um, I, I do want them to eventually get out of the edge stuff. It, they're starting to kind of feel a little repetitive, but this was a step in the right direction. They do have some direction. I'm looking forward to the match. Uh, in, it's in Toronto, I think, next week on Raw. Mm-hmm. Edge's first match in Toronto and first match in Canada in forever. 
crowd should be crazy hot for that. So I'm I'm looking to it, it looks like we're this is this has been going on forever. We're finally getting one of those big judgment day matches that we hoped for. Damian Priest versus Edge. That's something we've wanted for a while since, since a month since the, the turn happened. We're finally getting it. Hopefully we get Edge Finn Balor Clash of the Castle. So I'd like where this is it seems like this is finally going off somewhere uh somewhere good. Let's talk about the women's tag team championship tournament. We had two more matches, one on SmackDown, one on Raw. SmackDown, Raquel Rodriguez and Aaliyah fought Zia Lee and Shotzi. This opened the show. Natalia and Sonya Deville were ringside. So Raquel and Shotzi, so a heel and a face, attacked them for literally no reason. I couldn't figure out why they did that. The heels hit an assisted inverted DDT for a cool near fall. Raquel got the hot tag to a nice pop. She had two fallaway slams and the twisting elbow drop. But Zaya distracted and Shotzi hit a flip over inverted DDT for a near fall. Rodriguez finally hit the Tahana bomb for the win in just under 10 minutes. The match was fine. Aaliyah was clearly the weak link in this entire thing. And I never want to suggest someone should lose their job. And I'm not doing that here. But she is just not main roster caliber. Rodriguez getting pushed is not a bad thing at all. But given Aaliyah was the easy fall person, we talked about this earlier. I said there were three matches that I was surprised about the decisions. This is the other one. Aaliyah was a really easy person to take the fall. This should have been a spot where a heel team won in the tournament. Xylee and Shotzi, there's a longer leash with them. There's more talent on that team. Both of them, Raquel's already kind of getting over. Shotzi and Zayad need more ring time. They need more opportunity. So that was disappointing for me that they didn't have them win. But it was nice to see Raquel getting over. This was good overall, just not my style of booking. And one more note, through two total matches in the Women's Tag Team Championship Tournament, the women have seven minutes more ring time than the entire Queen's Crown. That is wild. Yeah, this was fine. I didn't have any strong thoughts on it other than I'm glad they got time to do a full match. Uh, I, I give it a good. It wasn't offensive, but there wasn't much to it otherwise. So yeah, that's about it. We also did get like a pre-taped promo from Zoe Stark and Nikita Lyons of NXT ahead of their match next week against Natalia and DeVille. Nothing too notable, but I did think it was a smart way to introduce them. So I just wanted to say that. Yep, on, I liked it. On Raw, we had Alexa Bliss and Asuka against Nikki, Ash, and Dewdrop. Bianca Belair entered to support her teammates, and Asuka danced to her music. It was kind of cute. There were a bunch of near falls and broken falls. Dewdrop hit a big running splash on Bliss, who had a rough landing. She actually ended on her hip. Dewdrop caught her with a Mishinoku driver for a near fall, but Asuka avoided a Vader bomb. Bliss got the hot tag and DDT Dewdrop before Asuka hit a code breaker and then stretched her in a submission as Bliss knocked out Nikki at ringside for the win. This one also went just a shade under 10 minutes. Bailey, Eosky, and Dakota Kai confronted the faces on the stage after the match, but they were all separated. No one attacked. Nothing happened. It was a good match. It picked up in the finish, but I don't understand why you would not just beat, but submit Dewdrop when Nikki is there to take the fall. Again, I said there were three matches. All of them were tag team matches. And in none of them did the weak link take the fall. It's just very surprising. It did make Asuka and Bliss look more impressive by beating Dewdrop. So perhaps that was the reason. It was a good match, good post match, better than the match on SmackDown. Nothing incredible though. Yeah, it, it was better than the match on SmackDown. Um, I was also surprised at who took the fall. And other than that, yeah, it was fine. Like there, there's not there's not many stories going on in this um, tournament yet. A lot of those are kind of set up for the second round, but the women, the tag teams are getting opportunities to 
look pretty good mm-hmm. unlike the queen's crown tournament where they just ran through that thing uh for no rhyme or reason so um yeah it was good the the differential in match time is it's astounding it's it's night and yep. day it really is and that's obviously a, a positive now last week bliss did not have lily with her which i thought was a great development but she came out with the doll this week and i know wwe wants to sell merchandise but lily is simply at this point stupid and it's stunting her character growth. <laughs> she is not able to develop into anything because she's some amalgamation of the goddess and, you know, the fiend version with the Lily doll still. And what is Alexa Bliss? She has no character right now. At least other people have characters. She's just there. Someone that people like. Now, that, getting rid of the Lily doll, Dewdrop becoming Piper Nevin again, and Nikki dropping Ash for Cross. These are... Three very easy things to accomplish. These are my next items on the Triple H wish list. Please fill them, Santa Trips. Papa Trips, Papa H, Santa H, whatever. These are my items on my holiday wish list. Fix all three of these women's gimmicks. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Alexa Bliss needs to lose Lily to get a character. She just needs to get a character, period. So what about the other two? We'll see. Uh, I like the Dewdrop theme. But yeah, change her name back to Piper Nevins. And Nikki Ash has been dead as a character pretty much one month after she won the championship. <laughs> so yeah, they rushed it and ruined it. About yeah. it. Yep. All right. Uh, Dakota Kai fought Dana Brooke. Kai interrupted her own promo by ap- approaching Brooke backstage. Uh, she said the trio doesn't scare her. Kai won basically a squash match. Almost all kicks in two minutes. This is the first week under Triple H that we've gotten two women's matches on one show. But we might as well not have. Like, I'm glad Kai got a win, but it was an awful short match. It felt like a total waste of time. This is the type of match that you do when someone's leaving a territory and you just want to beat them and get them out of the way. And that's what they did. Dana Brooke was still carrying the 24-7 championship, which we haven't had any storyline around recently. Again, not the end of the world not to do that, but she just lost a match, was knocked out in the middle of the ring. She still has the title. No one showed up to try to win it from her. So why does that still exist? Uh, You know, I thought we were going to get through a week. Uh, five hours of WWE television, all goods. It was really trending that way. But with one hour and eight minutes left in the week, we got a first bad. This was bad. Um, Like, look, it wasn't great. Like, it wasn't a great bit. But I don't know. Again, I don't really watch NXT. I don't know anything about Dakota Kai. Like, I need to see her do something. So having, look, having her squash Dana Brooke doesn't necessarily help her character, but it makes her look pretty, look, makes her look a little bit formidable, which we hadn't had before. So I completely understand the thought process behind it. I would have had them take the 24-7 championship from her. Like you said, if you're not going to do anything with it, if she's not going to get jumped after she gets loses a match or anything, then why not just have Dakota Kai just carry it around from time to time? Like they're they're not winning the tag, they're in the tag team division, but she can carry on the 24-7 championship too or something. I, I don't know. Like as we always say, if you have the 24-7 championship out there, do something with it. But um I I'll give it a I mean I'll give it a bad just because it didn't You don't do have to much. follow what I did. I'm I'm just telling you uh, the way I felt about it. I mean, I, I'm going to give it a, I, I'll give it a good because I'll, I'll give it a good for, for effort. Like, it's not like I came away from that segment being like, oh, this was terrible. I thought it was fine. It accomplished what it needed to. Yeah, it just, it's just one of those situations where it's like, I, I couldn't find anything redeemable about it. Even Kai getting the win, it, 
Dana Brooke's not good enough to make Dakota Kai look good or impressive or get people excited about her. So she got the win, but she might as well have beaten a jobber. It just, it didn't really make sense. That's true. It is like a jobber, but I also like that they went from promo to her kind of walking off the set there to Dana Brooke. Like that's another one of those like behind the scenes things. That was cool. A bit different. Yeah. That I like that. It feels real, like a real living thing. Like she was cutting a promo. She saw Dana Brooke and went up and talked to her. Like I, I, I liked, um, Points for that as well. I did like that part of the backstage thing. I I will agree with that. Uh, So Theory made his return to Raw and he sang his own praises. He said he made a miscalculation, not a mistake at SummerSlam, but it made him smarter, more calculating and more dangerous. Dolph Ziggler tore him apart, saying he earned the Money in the Bank contract and title when he cashed in back in the day, while Theory basically got everything handed to him. Theory called him a has-been and said he'll keep winning, unlike Ziggler, who screwed up the second half of his career. There's a really cool spot to go to commercial. This is the other time where it cut to black. Theory and Ziggler were brawling backstage and they ran into a camera and they acted like the camera just cut off, like lost transmission. So it oh. went to black, went to a commercial. The brawl was eventually broken up during commercial break and the main event match was made. Theory's promo to Dolph could have been a bit stronger, but I thought it was good storyline continuation, all things considered. We'll get to the match. Theory and Ziggler. Theory was super aggressive and violent at the bell. Theory got distracted on the top rope, allowing Ziggler to jump up for an avalanche X-Factor and a near fall. He also sold a knee. Theory dominated for a while, hitting a spinning rack bomb for a near fall. Ziggler came back with a Famouser and later a zigzag for a couple 2.5 counts. Theory tried to cheat with the ropes, but as Ziggler started picking up steam, Theory caught his leg during a Famouser and converted that into a town down to get the win in 16 minutes. He got immense heat right after the bell from the crowd. Theory obviously had to win the match. I doubt this was the original plan for the Dolph Ziggler storyline, but a change in creative coupled with Theory needing to step away from WWE for a couple of weeks for personal reasons. It seemed to me like they just said, you know what, let's continue this not to insult people's intelligence, but let's also just end it and move on from it. I'd have liked to have seen Ziggler mentor Theory, given he's a former Money in the Bank winner, but at least Theory got an establishment win over a former world champion since winning the Money in the Bank briefcase. He's been unsuccessful and he's gotten beat. So to see him get a win here was solid. I went 3.5 stars and a B for the match, and it was good. Uh, I'm, I, I'm torn on this. Like, I like the buildup and everything, and it was good. But it just didn't feel like a main event match. Like It was very clearly the, at least the third biggest match on the show mm-hmm. behind Kevin Owens McIntyre, which was spontaneous and the U.S. title match, which was scheduled beforehand. I kept waiting for the end. I was like, is someone going to make a surprise? Is something going to happen here? And it just never did. And I was like, all right, I guess it's the end of the show. Like, if if this had, if you had flipped this with the U.S. title match, if you had, had this maybe close the second hour, open the third hour, and you close the show with the U.S. title match, I think I would have felt a lot better about this. Um, It was fine like i guess, i'm not gonna give it a bad it, it was it was good but it just kind of felt random and look maybe this is the end of theory versus Dolph, and they just wanted to cut it off that's fine but its placement on the show was very strange to me i agree with that they also they showed the attack and i don't think they ever announced that it was the main event until like or that there would be a match and that the match was the main event until after the United States Championship match. So like yeah. 10, 15, 10, 30. They're like, oh, by the way, this match is happening at the end of the show. 
the U.S. title match happens, and I said to my brother, I was like, wait, what is the main event of the show? And he's like, I don't know. And then they advertised Dakota Kai match. I was like, it's not that. Right. What is it? Oh, I guess they were doing that tonight. Well, that's weird. Maybe, maybe they'll do something at the end to explain it. And then they just didn't. So, yeah, yeah it, it was weird. These are some of those, you know, again, some may look at these as nitpicks, but, you know, we're pointing out literally the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's what the segment is, and that's what the show is about. And those are some of those things. I think I mentioned the Drew McIntyre thing earlier, right, where the promotional aspect of it and the way it was explained didn't really make a lot of sense. And that's surprising because, look, yes, Vince McMahon is gone, sure. But everyone else is still there, as far as we know. Like, Bruce Pritchard is still there, right? And and that is one other thing I did want to mention really, really briefly before we continue. Triple H is getting all of our praise, and he deserves it, and creative is better, all true. But one thing I did mention when this creative stuff happened is Bruce Pritchard is still there, and Bruce without Vince is creative and smart, and he knows how to book good wrestling. It may not be everyone's cup of tea, but he is very capable. And I am very curious to learn, you know, Triple H is definitely setting the direction. I'm wondering what level of input Bruce is having in some of this direction, because I got to say, anyone discounting him and putting all the praise on Triple H, probably missing the boat a little bit. It's both of them. A lot of stuff's working. Some stuff maybe isn't as well. And I think both the praise and the blame in certain circumstances needs to be shared. It's not all on one man. Whereas with Vince McMahon, sure, there are writers and sure, Bruce was there also. But he's the, he was always the guy. He was always the guy who, if something was really odd and didn't make sense, it was nonsensical, you could say, yeah, that's Vince McMahon probably did that. Now we don't know. And that's kind of nice. We're able to look well, at it like I, a television show. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I was going to say, and it's not just Triple H and Bruce either. There is no, still there's a, a team of writers. writers. Yeah. Yeah, who are who probably have more input now than they ever have before in terms of what, what they do. So th- that's true. Look, I said at the beginning of the show, I thought this Raw had some really bright moments and some really kind of eh moments. And, and this main event was one of those eh moments. Yeah. I, I didn't like this episode as much as the past few. Look, not every episode is going to be hit out of the home run. Still a lot of it that I liked. I'm still very happy with the, the general direction. But um, yeah, it, it, as we talk about how much we have, have enjoyed the general change in creative, there's still bits that we're, we're having issues with, and we may not be giving it a bad, and we're certainly not giving it an ugly. Um, but I, I also think that's, again, coming back to kind of trusting that they'll work it out and giving them some time to kind of figure it out. Zero uglies thus far in the Triple H regime here on the show. On SmackDown, Pat McAfee used his Telestrator on a couple of jobbers in the ring. I was so happy, Chris, that he got the Telestrator and it's staying. It's part of yep. the gimmick. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Uh, he was using it on a couple of jobbers in the ring before their opponents were announced. And those opponents were Hit Row, making their return to a pretty big pop from the crowd, to my surprise. Top dollar. Ashanti the Adonis and B-Fab were all there. They hit the heavy hitter and assisted backdrop with a drop kick for a squash win. Not a great move. Need to work on that. Do something better. Um, but it was great to see these guys back. Obviously, Swerve Strickland was the key to them as a faction. The best guy on the mic, by far the best in the ring. The straw that stirs the drink, if you will. The Reggie Jackson of the entire group. So yes, the group is a downgrade from what it used to be. But the tag team division is paper thin and they bring legitimate energy to the division and to WWE. Plus, did you see the way the fans and especially the black fans reacted to them? There was real excitement because 
Hit Row. We talked about it forever from NXT up to when they first got the main roster call up. And we were so super excited about them. They are way more representative and real than most groups that you see on WWE television. And I say this as a big guy myself, AJ Francis, he looked like he gained a little weight. He may need to trim down a little bit if they're going to do more than squash matches. He's been out for a while. I know he wrestled a little bit. He wasn't consistently working like he was when he was in WWE. But all in all, this was a really good move. It obviously popped me. And this is one group I'm fine with them staying at three. They don't need to expand into a faction. They had it. That piece is gone. I want them to be what they are. I don't think our Carmelo Hayes, people brought him up from NXT as a perfect person to lead the faction or Cedric Alexander or whoever. I don't think any of those people would make sense. The only person who you could potentially add to them that would raise the rent a little bit would be MVP, but I don't think they need a mouthpiece. So leave them as they are. Glad they're back. It was a squash, so the match was whatever, but this was good. You mentioned MVP, and I, if I have this correctly, when I saw it on Twitter, I think AJ Francis was talking about on Twitter about people saying who else should join the group, and AJ Francis made some, I think he made some comment about um, why is it always uh, black wrestlers, people mm-hmm. feel like have to jump in the group, and MVP said the same thing about it's true. Um, the new nation when, 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 uh, when um, uh, uh, their group was put together. Her business. Yeah, her business was put together. And no, let let people be their own things. Like, like, like let them do their own new stuff. Hit row. I'm not super familiar with them. I know them a bit from NXT. Top dollar AJ Francis really got on my radar after he cut that diss track on the Young Buck, which I really liked. I'm a big fan of his. I saw some some wrestling he did. I think over WrestleMania weekend. I think he did a moonsault uh, off off a top rope at one point. So I, I, I like the potential here. I like big guy. I like, you know, guy who looks good. Got a woman in the group. It's a good mix mm-hmm. of, of different types of characters. And yeah, it was great to see them back. High hopes, optimistic, uh, that they're, that they're going to do some fun stuff. You're completely right, by the way, that you don't, if you're going to add to a group and build a faction, especially if it's a, a black group, let's say as it starts with three black members, you don't always have to just add black people to it. Totally, right? right? And that's it shouldn't be that way in theory. The reason why MVP works for Hit Row specifically is because they're a record label. And if there's going if there's anyone in WWE who would be like the head of the label or the Suge Knight, the you know, it would be MVP. He's literally the perfect person to potentially be the mouthpiece for them to introduce them, to set them up to do their freestyles and their raps and shit. So he he fits the aesthetic is what the point is. But you are right yep. in general. Um, if you're adding people to Judgment Day, although Damian Priest is obviously Puerto Rican, they don't all have to be lighter skinned. If you're adding people to Hit Row, they don't need to be right. darker skinned. That is true it, for yeah. all groups and factions in every company. It's something that back in the day, in the Attitude Era, you know, what did we have? We had the Nation of Domination. We had Los Bariquas, right? We had DX. The Nation of Domination, by the way, had Owen Hart. It did. At one point, it did, yes. Later. Yeah. In the also, here's exactly what it was. AJ, I found it from three days ago. AJ Francis tweets, Guys, please stop adding all your favorite black wrestlers to the group. We're not ac- accepting exactly. applications at this time. Hashtag OG3, hashtag hit row. MVP replies with a bunch of clapping emojis and says, at least they're not trying to make you into the new nation, which is just to say, like you, like we just said, you, let black wrestlers be their own thing. Don't try to just say, oh, they're like that other black. Right. right. That's not good. 
There's actually, uh, ironically, I didn't even see those tweets, but ironically, I tweeted this over the weekend. I caught up on a lot of WWE shows that I hadn't seen. I had a lot of free time this weekend. Uh, I watched The Table for Three on The Hurt Business. Now, you guys all know mm. I love The Hurt I Business. Chris loves The Hurt Business. It was a great Table for Three. Great one. And they talk about that exactly, where they were putting it together and they were worried that they'd be considered the new nation. They didn't want to mention them ever as part of The Hurt Business. And they talked about their motivations for becoming The Hurt Business, why they dressed the way they did, why they talked the way they did. And a large part of it was both representation. They wanted young kids to kind of see that black men could carry themselves that way and didn't have to be the stereotypical groups that were used previously, but also because they didn't want it to be about race. They just wanted it to be more so about class, right? They wanted to say, we are on another level. And this Mm -hmm. is something that you should try to achieve, whether you're black, whether you're white, whatever. So it's a good show to watch to kind of further this conversation that you and I are having. But the end of it all is the hit rose back and I'm really freaking excited about it. And it was pretty good what they did. So it all worked. Agree. Uh, Kofi Kingston had a scheduled match against Ivar. The Viking Raiders entered. They were not called New Vicious, by the way. Yes. Only for Kofi to wear them out with a kendo stick again. Eric got his shield up on another kendo stick shot and they beat Kofi's ass. It ended with Kofi getting lawn darted into a shield. And then Ivar jumped off the barricade to splash him on the damn stage. There were obvious piped in booze, unfortunately. This is one area where I totally noticed it, that's aggravating. But I didn't need a repetitive match. I didn't need him to fight one partner and then fight the other. So I thought this was a fine continuation of the feud. Ivar's splash was awesome. Throwing him like a lawn dart into the shield was great. Kofi and the kendo stick the last two weeks has been fun. I did hope they would keep New Day out until after Clash at the Castle for like a really big return. But they're doing a Viking funeral for New Day next week. So I assume we're going to get Kofi and Xavier Woods, both of them back. Smackdown's in Canada. They probably want a big pop. Purging the new Vicious, that alone made this good. But this was also super entertaining. Look, you drop new Vicious, I'm actually going to pay attention to your segment now, this time around. Like, I can take it seriously. And it was a good beatdown. So, yeah, I give this a good. For the first time, step in the right direction. I still feel kind of worn out of this story, even though I don't think they've had any matches yet. If At least, like, tag team matches. They've just maybe had some one-offs. Um, but, uh, yeah, finally good. Raw commentary explained Ezekiel will be out for multiple months after being hospitalized from the Kevin Owens attack last week. And then we got a still shot, uh, really a Photoshop, uh, of Zeke in a hospital bed <laughs> with Elias, presumably Elrod, an old man named Ernie Jr., um, I think a woman maybe, and a little kid yes. all alongside him. Ernie Jr. then cut a short promo which kind of popped me. I also love that the guy's name's Ernie Jr., even though he's the oldest guy. <laughs> and there's no Ernie, like the second or whatever would come next. Or the third. Uh, any, or yeah, whatever it would be. Uh, this was good, though, it, but it did raise some questions for me. If Elias exists in kayfabe, why isn't he back wrestling? Especially now as retribution for Zeke getting injured. That, to me, is a clear storyline hole, unless we're just supposed to completely suspend disbelief and just ignore any of those types of holes, which, if that's the case, is fine. This was good. It did pop me a little bit. And now I wonder, like, are we staying in the universe? Are we just getting Elias back? What exactly is going to happen here? But clearly they're not dropping the person. And that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, like, Elias obviously kind of made the comeback that one time a a month or so ago. Mm -hmm. So, like, they've acknowledged that he's out there and he's just kind of been busy. Ezekiel said he doesn't return his texts or something like that. But if we're going to open up the entire Elias-Ezekiel family universe, like, 
I'm all in on this again. And like, if we if, if they can go like full nutty professor and put together a skit of the, the family either at the table or around the hospital bed and they're all like doing things like I'm all in if they do something like that. I, I Again, the ceiling is low on stuff like that, but that would be absolutely hilarious. We got like a tiny promo from Ernie Jr. on this. And I was just immediately like, I need more of this. I want more of this. I thought it was really, really funny in a brief amount of time. So absolute good. Maxine Dupree was directing the models how to pose backstage at SmackDown. They were drenched in baby oil. Like it was dripping off them. It was really funny. Uh, Max Dupree was angry at the cameraman for doing a bad job. Los Lotharios stepped up and said they should be in the group because they are the most handsome men in WWE. Max shut them down. So they physically went around him saying, hey, we were actually talking to Maxine. That obviously pissed him off. It really does seem like they're doing a quick angle to extricate Max out of maximum male models. And if that happens and he gets repackaged, whether it's LA Knight, whether it's a new name, that's obviously going to be great. Even though I do like maximum male models and I'm kind of down for what they're doing. This was good enough. What it means going forward could be even better. To me, maximum male models only works as a gimmick that I'm super interested in. If Max is the top guy, if LA Knight is the guy you know, on the stick doing most of the stuff. I liked how he got up close to Garth, I think it was, and was doing the close talking again. He's a really funny, really talented guy. We've we've gone over that a lot. If it if he's eventually out of the maximum models, I, I think it's kind of a dead gimmick. I, I think I think LA Knight was the only one kind of holding that up to be like pretty funny. Um, so we'll see. But it makes sense that Garza and, and Umberto say that they should be in, that they're the most handsome tag team. Like, that's their gimmick. Like, they should want to be in the model. So it all made sense. So it, it was a good, you know, it's a, it's a, obviously a low card type of thing, but um, I give it a good. I think you're underselling Masse and Mansois a little bit because, yes, Max, Max really got it done from a backstage standpoint. All those things with Adam Pierce were hysterical. But once they got out there and they did the runway walks, the guys were the funny part, the way they posed and and all that type of stuff. The stuff that Max read was actually terrible. Like it didn't even really help that much. It was the music and the two guys, the wrestlers. So I do think it would work with Maxine. I don't know that they're going to keep doing that gimmick of runway walking, but I think the photo shoots with the baby oil and Maxine being there, if she's capable at all, look, it's a low card group. It's not going to main event shit, right. Right? right? So if it's good enough to continue without him and then we get LA Knight or whatever version of him that we get as a singles wrestler, that's going to be a really big positive at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. T- to me, the runway thing, I what I got the most out of the runway was the first time they did it, and he was just like out of control with like the way he was talking. <laughs> Hamming about it. It, it up. Really yeah. funny. The second time, he didn't ham it up so much, and it was yeah. less interesting, and then Maxine showed up, and now I don't really know what, what's going on. So I don't know, but either way, I just hope they have uh, – I, I hope I, – I want more Max Dupree on my screen, essentially. I just I, – I really find him entertaining. And lastly here, Veer Mahan fought Bo Killer, I think was his name, or Triller. I don't know, whatever. The jobber dodged so, Veer, who eventually caught him and threw him over the ropes flat on the floor. Veer then hit a corner splash, a standing splash, and the million-dollar arm, plus the cervical clutch for the win. Veer looked exactly the same. Like, they didn't follow up on the backstage segment a couple of weeks ago where he flirted with the interviewer. And the Twitter promo that I got so excited about with him dressed to the nines and looking badass it seemed completely irrelevant to what we got on Monday night. This was completely pointless. It was right back to what it was previously. And the crowd didn't give a shit at all. You know what it was? 
That is one big pile of shit. It's also a bad. It's a bad bordering on an ugly. It was close. I, I was. It was close. Not only it was a it was a squash, but it wasn't even like a convincing squash. <laughs> like the guy got in some offense, he escaped a couple times before Vera eventually got him, and. I was just like, what is the point of this? Nobody in the arena had any idea what the point of this was. It's the same thing we got post-WrestleMania. Like, nothing changed other than he doesn't have the big elbow pads anymore. And I told my brother that he's the million-dollar arm guy. Like, he, he didn't know. And I told him, like, his backstory and stuff. And he's like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, why don't, <laughs> why don't they tell that story? I have no idea. This was absolutely a bad very close to being an ugly. It was very close. I would love to see them send Veer back down to NXT, let him team with Sangha again, and allow him to be a gimmick like Sangha. Well-dressed, well-spoken, which both of them are, um, you know, rich dudes who come from whatever background and make them into a, like a Twin Towers dominant, you know, big dude tag team. Let them do it. Sangha's not doing anything. Veer is floundering. This just isn't working. Give him an opportunity. This, whatever this is, it's not working. But what did work was this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Chris, we broke down every single thing from this past week in WWE. SmackDown, Raw, WrestleMania Launch Party, the whole nine yards. We did it for you on today's show. Which means as we're on the way out here, I do need to remind you that this podcast, Getting Over, is so please leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple and Spotify. Also leave a written review on Apple Podcasts and every five-star review we will read here on the show as we did earlier. I forgot on the intro to remind you also to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, where we release episodes as soon as they go live and just tweet about wrestling all week long. Again, every reason to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. As far as our schedule going forward, we will be back on Thursday for our latest AEW and NXT show. If you missed last week's Thursday episode, we not only talk AEW and NXT, but NXT UK and Ric Flair's last match. So be sure to go back and listen to that if you have not already. And Chris, I have forgotten to mention this over the last couple of weeks, but I've been meaning to tell our audience that our SummerSlam instant analysis episode is now the most listened to, most downloaded episode in podcast history. So thank you all very much for that. So with all that said, it is time to wrap things up for Vintage Chris Vanini. This is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now. <laughs>